it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Wilson going to the air. Chased out by Daquan Jones. Wilson looking in zone, wide open, touchdown! First NFL touchdown for Zach Wilson. And it goes to Corey Davis. Down the middle, he's got it. Elijah Moore, the 20, the 10, the 5, touchdown. Jones has just caught flat-footed. What an excellent, excellent round. He'll hit immediately got the handoff. You know it's the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studio. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And it is New Year's Day. So happy 2022, everybody. Really glad to have you aboard. Hopefully, 2022 for the New York Jets is going to be a much better year than 2021. But there were some nice things that happened for the franchise in 2021. We're going to talk about some of the best moments with the thunder from down under, the man who puts together all the great film on our YouTube channel, the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. That, of course, is Mr. Luke Grant. Luke, I know that this is actually day number two of 2022 in Australia. For us, we just started 2022. So I said to you yesterday, Happy New Year, Australian style. Now I'll say to you, Happy New Year, USA style. Yeah, I'm not sure my New Year's Day would have been quite as good if I'd been in America, I was at the beach, probably a little bit cold in New York right now to be down <laughs> yes. at the beach. So I would have to alter some plans. But look, I'm just thankful that so far, 2022 for me has started better than in 2019 when we hired Adam Gase. I think it was the 6th of January, those rumors started coming in. So look, we're a few days away from the 6th, but right now, this is a much better year than we've seen the last couple previous. The arrow definitely seems to be pointing up in a way that we haven't seen it in quite a while. There have been times where we've sort of tricked ourselves. When they drafted Sam Darnold, for example, we thought, okay, they got the quarterback, so things have to get better. Even if Sam Darnold had improved, I don't know that it necessarily would have meant that the franchise would have been super successful anyway, because if you look at what happened with the Colts, they didn't go anywhere near as far as they could have because Ryan Gregson completely botched everything around Andrew Luck when Luck was at his very best. So with Mike McCagnan as general manager, who knows what could have happened, but obviously would have been a lot better if Darnold had worked out. He didn't, and so he will not be making this list at all. I have a feeling that the man who replaced him will at some point, but I wanted to start with one thing that I thought was really positive, and as I said on yesterday's show to tease this, we are going to do a combination of stuff that happened on the field and off the field because, quite frankly, when a team is 4-11, and there just aren't enough on-the-field moments to make this type of list work. So let's start with something that did happen on the field. And one of the best plays of the year that I really personally enjoyed was Elijah Moore absolutely juking Byron Jones out of his boots in that first Jets-Dolphins game to go for that long touchdown pass. 
What that really showed me was all of Elijah Moore's strengths in one. You saw his burning speed. You saw the fact that he's a tremendous route runner. You saw his great hands. Those are his three major separation tools. They were all on display there. Obviously, health has been a bit of an issue for him so far. We know that he missed some time in the preseason. We know that he missed some time in the regular season. In fact, as we're recording this, we still don't know if he's going to play in the game on Sunday against Tampa, and he's already missed some games. But you look at that play and you look at what he did once he really effectively got into the starting lineup those last six games before he got hurt, and he looks like a number one wide receiver in the making. That play, to me, was the exclamation point on that fact. It really was. You talked about all the factors already, Scott. The speed, the twitch, the route running, his ability to catch outside his frame. We saw that so often at Ole Miss on tape. The one thing that I loved about that play that was pretty underrated was how cerebral it was. He's running a slant off an RPO. We know that. But what you saw from him was the ability to then snap that route more vertically because he didn't want to run into the safety in the middle of the field. It was great kind of the wherewithal to understand that I can turn this into a 15-yard game or I can take this into a house call. Now, look, ideally that play would have had Zach Wilson throwing in the football rather than the guy that brings out the best in every Jets second-round wide receiver and Joe Flacco. But that really was, I guess, the crescendo of Elijah Moore's season, that span in the middle of the field when he went for 450 all-total yards, five or six touchdowns. That kind of was the exclamation point. And I think that surmised his skill set the best. Another play on the field that we have to say was one of the best plays of the season, without a doubt, was that Zach Wilson touchdown pass to Corey Davis in the Tennessee game. That was everything that you wanted from him when he was picked number two overall. Because as I said to Drew and Chris on the Rock Pile Report podcast, when they do their AFC East roundup every week and they ask me about that, there are so few quarterbacks in the NFL that could have made that throw out on the run, just a perfect dart in between defenders right into Corey Davis's hands. Now, you don't want him to have to rely on plays like that because they're not going to be as plentiful as just a garden variety 10 or 15 yard dart for a first down or even the occasional screen. You've got to be able to mix it up. But him being able to do that, that's the type of play that, as I said, only a handful of elite quarterbacks like, say, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes can make. If Zach Wilson can continue to make plays like that from time to time combined with the stuff that we were just talking about, being able to hit guys in stride even from shorter and intermediate range, he's going to be very dangerous, especially if he's able to continue using his legs like we saw him do against the Jaguars. Yeah, look, that there was a 10-minute or 15-minute span against Tennessee where Zach Wilson was just going crazy. He was throwing balls to Keelan Cole on the sideline. He dropped a snap and threw it to Jamison Crowder. But again, that real key defining moment for Zach Wilson so far in 2021, well, in the season so far, obviously 2021's come to a close, was that ball against Tennessee. The escapability, he threw that thing 59 yards in the air, for goodness sake. I mean, people went crazy in the NFL scouting community over the Justin Herbert throw a couple of weeks ago. Zach Wilson's throw is possibly better than that. And his ability to direct traffic on the run, to stay cool, to play that backyard football like we saw at BYU. Because, look, Zach Wilson has got significantly better in the last couple of weeks at playing the quarterback position, the short throws, the eye discipline, the understanding pre-snap. But what separates Tua and uh, Tyrod Taylor and these middle-of-the-road pedestrian quarterbacks from Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, it's the big plays. And if Zach Wilson can keep developing the underneath stuff, 
his ability outside of structure and down the field gives him an opportunity. I'm not saying he will be, but it gives him the opportunity to be an elite quarterback. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Now let's go off the field and talk about some of the better moments that we saw from the Jets throughout 2021. We're going to get back to on the field stuff. I just wanted to mix it up a little bit. And we'll start with the hiring of Robert Sala as the new head coach of the New York Jets. Now we don't know for sure whether it's going to work out. Sala's had his good moments. He's had his bad moments. You're going to expect that from a rookie head coach. However, I think the fact that the process went so smoothly when most of us didn't expect it to, the fact that the Jets got a guy that was considered, if not the top coaching candidate in this cycle, then certainly in the top two or three, and that they got the guy that they truly wanted. They brought in Salah, they picked out a guy that they really liked, and they closed the deal. In the past, we've seen that's been a big problem. Obviously, we know what happened with Matt Rule and that falling apart and Adam Gase ended up getting the job. That whole thing was a mess. Matt Rule doesn't necessarily look like he's going to work out in Carolina, but just the process was terrible. This one went much more smoothly. And like I said, if nothing else, the Jets got a top-of-the-line prospect. This is sort of like the draft. That's how it works with coaches. You never know for sure who's going to be a good head coach and who isn't. You just have to kind of look at indicative markers. Salas seemed to hit a lot of those. And whether he works out or not, we'll find out down the line. For now, though, the process that led to him getting hired was one of the high points of the 2021 calendar year for the Jets. Yeah, I mentioned it yesterday, Scott. You can't let these decisions become result-based necessarily. It's about process, like you just mentioned. I talked yesterday, Zach Wilson, him playing or not playing against the Jags. It wasn't about the outcome. It was about the possibilities and the percentages of him getting hurt, him playing poorly. As it pertains to Salah, and if he works out as a coach, the process the Jets went with and the strategy and their goals and their targets were correct. Will that lead to results on the field? I don't know. There's some things you just can't control in life and in the NFL, but the decision they made, I believe, was correct. And how it ends up happening, you know, how this plays out down the stretch, I don't think that really impacts that they made the right call. The Robert Sala hiring was a wild couple of weeks, if you think back to the start of 2021, guys, because Really, going into the process, Robert Sala was going home to Detroit. All you heard is he's from a very small, tight-knit community in Michigan. He wants to go home. Detroit have an opening. Scrappy, underdog, fits the character. Ironically, they went with, with Dan Campbell in the end. So, um, But in the end, I, just, I wasn't thinking about Robert Sala, really, because I just had assumed he was going to Detroit. And then suddenly, the first person they bring in for a big interview was Robert Sala. And you hear or you heard all the rumors from reliable sources, a guy like Peter Schrager, who is very in the know with these coaches and the inner circle of the NFL, the Jets want him and he loves the Jets. And then he walks out of the building. And usually if it's not a COVID year, you think, oh my God, they've let him go. And Jets Twitter melted down and everyone started worrying, myself included. Don't worry about that. And then he went to Philadelphia. He flew, flies back to New York. They get it done. He's the only guy, well, with Arthur Smith, they bring in for a second interview. They handled the process fantastically. They hired the right coach. Now, 
as I said at the top, I don't know if it's going to work out or not, but I feel confident that Joe Douglas, the Johnsons, everyone involved in that conversation and that decision, they got it right. I think it was a really good start to 2021. Another big win for the Jets in 2021 was the ability to get an excellent return for Sam Darnold. When Sam Darnold finished the 2020 season, it was all but apparent that there's no way that he was going to come back here and be able to live up to what the expectations were initially. So the question became, do you try to give him one more chance to maybe work it out? He's not going to be that elite guy, but maybe he could be a middle-of-the-pack starter and work through it and sort of see what you can salvage. Or do you move on to another quarterback? Eventually, the Jets moved on to another quarterback, but in the process, they were going to have to see what they could get for Darnold. I'll be honest, even though... Everybody was saying the Jets were going to get a second rounder and change. I never really expected it because Darnold was so bad and he's starting to go into his expensive years. Any team that grabbed him was going to have to pick up his fifth-year option because otherwise you're trading for a one-year rental. Joe Douglas exceeded my expectations. He got a two, a four, and a six. And now this year we'll see the fruits of that because Carolina, knock on wood, as of this recording, is one of the worst teams in the league. So the Jets are going to have a top of the round number two and a top of the round number four that they've gotten for Sam Darnold in addition to a sixth rounder they got last year. Fantastic value. And Sam Darnold clearly, as of this recording, has continued to do what he did here with the Jets that made him unsuccessful. That's happening in Carolina, or it has happened so far. So I thought the Jets being able to get that kind of value for Darnold was a huge win and one of their biggest moments off the field in 2021. And I think it had multifaceted value because if Joe Douglas and the Johnsons went into their head coaching interviews and said, we're sticking with Sam Darnold, man, we believe in this kid. I don't think you get anywhere near the caliber of coach of Robert Sala. I think you end up getting someone that's close to the bottom of the barrel because they don't want to be stuck with Sam Darnold. They want to draft their own quarterback. And then also you're getting rid of a quarterback that's been effectively bottom five to seven for the first three years of his career. And you turn that into a top 40 pick touchwood and also a fourth round pick. The Jets did an awesome job with that haul. I remember walking to work one day, I was about 6 a.m. here, and the news came through on the phone, and I was just pumped because while there was that first round, could they get like pick 25 or something? Realistically, those teams in the playoff hunt aren't looking to bring in Sam Darnold. If you told me the Jets got a third for him, I probably would have believed it. But the fact that they got a high second round pick, they can turn that into a receiver. Uh, Maybe they want to get an interior offensive lineman like Zion, uh, the kid out of Boston College. So there's so many things they can do with that. But clearing up the quarterback pitcher, being decisive, understanding when is time to cut bait. Don't double down on organizational mistakes. That's what made this an awesome decision from Joe Douglas. Look, it's easier because he didn't draft Sam Darnold, but getting rid of him quickly and expediently, that was the right move. Let's go back to the field now and talk about another one of my favorite moments. I know that in the long run, this isn't going to matter, but I was at the stadium and there was just so much joy that day. Luke, I know you're not a big fan of this game because of what it represented for the next couple of weeks in terms of the way that fans got very overexcited, but the Mike White game against Cincinnati was a blast. I will always remember how much fun it was to be in the stadium that day, especially after how bad everything was during the Adam Gase years and, of course, the latter years of the Todd Bowles era as well. That was a refreshing change, and I really enjoyed it. Look, anytime you get the AFC leaders, even if it's in week five or six, coming into your home 
and you have an opportunity to beat them and score that many points and set a record, an NFL record for most uh, throwing yards and touchdowns and an NFL debut and all of those things, exceeding, I think, everyone except for Cam Newton's debut. It's special. That game was incredible to watch. The next week was horrendous. The next two weeks were horrendous. I hated those. It was people talking about Mike White in the future and it's his role and he, his job to lose. And look, you sat there going, I know how this is going to pan out, but I still have to sit through the conversations. But you're right. The game itself was incredible. Elijah Vera Tucker, I will, I will always think of that game. Look, you think of Mike White first, but I think of the touchdown throw to Braxton Berrios, left-hand corner of the Jets uh, end zone on the kind of speed out uh, from Braxton. And I think about Elijah Veritaka blocking two men on one play. That was such a an iconic performance from him early in his career. He struggled and was a little hot and cold with pass pro. That game was a breakout for him. Uh, Michael Carter, the running back, was fantastic in that. There were so many awesome performances from young core offensive weapons, as well as Mike White. And that's why that was an awesome day, an incredible performance. And the Jets have hit 30-plus points, what, maybe five times in the last four or five years, and three of those were back-to-back against the Raiders, Washington, and the Giants in 2019. It was awesome to have that explosion. I really enjoyed it. Mike White going into the Hall of Fame. All that stuff is fun on reflection. Now that we're back with Zach Wilson, I can definitely enjoy it a little bit more. But on the day, watching that unfold, it was just insane. And uh, it was definitely a lot of fun to watch. Something else that happened on the field this year, it wasn't one specific moment, but it was many specific moments, and that's the return of C.J. Mosley. After being gone for basically two years because he missed almost the entire 2019 season with an injury, and then in 2020 he opted out due to concerns over the coronavirus, he comes back and he has career high in tackles, leads that defense. Now, granted, the defense has been terrible this year, but Mosley has been an exception to that. Remarkable return to form from him. And you have to figure that he's going to be at the top of the list of candidates for comeback player of the year. A really strange season for CJ Mosley and, and the perception publicly and outside of Jets fans of his play. The first four or five weeks, I thought CJ Mosley was playing at a borderline all pro level. And you have guys like PFF who were saying he was grading in the 30s and 40s. And I sat there and I watched him play. And I know that linebacker is a difficult position to evaluate. And sometimes what you're seeing on the ball doesn't let you know who's blowing a coverage for a crossing route, you know, and that kind of thing in cover three. But CJ Mosley was everywhere. His instincts, his speed, his burst. I thought he was close to the best player on the entire Jets roster in that first four or five weeks. And then I just, I beat the drum for him. I beat the drum for him. And then he kind of went cold in the middle of the year and it got kind of ugly against the Colts and games like that. And I got called a CJ Mosley hater. And then when he was playing outstandingly again on the weekend against the Jags, and I said, man, I'll tell you what, CJ Mosley's back to balling again. People are going, oh, but remember when you said he sucked for two weeks? I didn't say CJ Mosley sucked. He was playing poor football for two, three weeks. Outside of that, CJ Mosley has been phenomenal this year. He's played at a really high standard considering he's had no football for the best part of like a year and a half. So it's been awesome to see him come back The Jets need linebacker help. They're going to need him next year. The contract situation gets a little kind of uh, dicey, I suppose, because he opted out of the COVID year. So that then adds another year to the back end of the contract. So I'm not exactly sure how that looks. I'll have to look into it a little little further as we get to the offseason. But as you said, Scott, CJ Mosley for 90% of the year has played really good football. All those statistics, they give you a good idea of his nouse and nose for the football. And I think he's played really well. Would have been great to see him pick off Trevor Lawrence 
uh, to finish the game. At the time, I was thinking I wish the guy just caught it and landed in the end zone. But <laughs> the fact that we ended up winning, it would have been nice to see Mosley pick it off. But regardless, he's had a really good 2021. Let's go back off the field now, Luke, and talk about the drafting of Zach Wilson at number two overall out of BYU. Now, whether or not this works out, much like we said with Robert Sala, nobody knows for sure. The arrow is definitely pointing up over the last couple of weeks, but a lot still for Zach Wilson to prove before we sit here and are willing to say with certainty that he is the guy going forward. However, the Jets' process to get to him I thought was really good. They resisted temptation to trade down. They resisted temptation to stick with Darnold and build around him by maybe taking Kyle Pitts or trading down and getting a bunch of extra picks to build up the roster around Darnold. They realized that they had an opportunity to get a quarterback they really liked and wanted, and so they went out and they grabbed him. Obviously, we know from Steve Young, who has no reason to lie and ties to many people within the 49ers organization, that the 49ers would have loved to have gotten Zach Wilson. Unfortunately, they knew they couldn't get up high enough, so they settled for Trey Lance. Now, Trey Lance could end up being a better quarterback than Zach Wilson, but I think that does tell you something about the way both coaching staffs respectively viewed Wilson in this process. There were a lot of people that thought that maybe the Jets should go in a different direction, perhaps Justin Fields. They resisted all the outside noise and went with the guy that they really wanted, and I think that's how you run a successful franchise. As they say in the wrestling business, if you listen too closely to the fans, eventually you end up sitting with them. That's sort of the way it goes in the NFL as well. Yes, there's going to be outside noise. Yes, there's going to be media and fans and all the pundits, but you've got to go with what you think is the right move collectively as an organization. That's what the Jets did. I remember talking to Mark Ross about this. He was in the front office for the Philadelphia Eagles when everybody and their mother was screaming for Ricky Williams. And instead, to the chagrin of the entire city of Philadelphia, they picked Donovan McNabb. They ended up being right. And if they could go back and do it again, they'd do it 100 times out of 100. The fans were wrong. The pundits were wrong. Everybody was wrong, except for the people in that room who had the confidence in themselves. I think that speaks volumes about the decision makers here. Now, whether or not it works out, that will speak even more volumes. But as far as them being confident in their ability to make the right decision and tune out everybody else, I thought that was done really well here with the decision makers, Sala, Douglas, LaFleur, and on down the line. Yeah, look, there's no doubt in my mind that the Jets got the second best prospect in the 2021 draft class. As you said, results will wait and see in the next three or four years, but if you thought the Mike White, Zach Wilson debates were annoying for a couple of weeks, the offseason killed me. Look, Justin Fields is a good player, and I really liked him, but I said this all the way from, I think, the 3rd or 4th of January last year. Zach Wilson was closer to Trevor Lawrence as a prospect than he was Justin Fields. And I'm not talking stylistically. I'm talking about level of talent. He was closer to being the best quarterback than he was the third best quarterback. So it was good to see the Jets not worry about taking a small school guy or he's only six foot one and all of these things you heard, the ridiculous character concerns that came out about Zach Wilson not going to his friend's birthday parties and everything like that. It was good to see them stick to their convictions, to have a process, to understand what they wanted in a quarterback, in a leader for their franchise, what they wanted in this Mike LaFleur system. There was clarity through this entire process. And on draft day, there was a lot of times with Mike McCagnan in charge that I sat there nervous and not knowing what was going to happen. And you hear Matt Miller, who was plugged in, talking about maybe Josh Allen's going to be the pick. In retrospect, I shouldn't have been so worried about that. <laughs> but when you look at Zach Wilson, I sat there on draft night with you, Scott, and we were online with you, Stadium, for the draft show. 
there was no hesitancy. There was no question in my mind that they were playing, uh, taking Zach Wilson. I didn't even watch it live because we were just chatting about other things at that time because I knew. And it's that confidence in the front office that is super reassuring. I'll say it again. The Jets got the second best prospect. It doesn't mean he'll be the second best quarterback, but if they give him the environment, I think Joe Douglas is trying to foster and create in New York and in New Jersey, I suppose, then I think it has a great opportunity to work. Zach Wilson was the right pick. I'm really glad he was drafted in 2021. Final moment that I want to talk about, and this is an off-the-field moment, and I think there's no debating that this was the most fun, most satisfying moment of 2021 concerning the New York Jets, and that was the firing of Adam Gase. Now, listen, Adam Gase, the man, he's got a family. I'm not trying to say anything bad about him as a person. I don't know him. I will, however, say many bad things about him as a football man. It was a terrible hire. We all said it at the time. It was a disaster waiting to happen. Some people got tricked into believing that he was better than he was because of the fact that we saw the Jets win a bunch of games at the end of a season through fluky means. I could go through the whole list of weird ways that were unrepeatable that the Jets were winning games to get to 7-9 and nine at the end of 2019. But then 2020 came and all the wheels fell off and all our concerns manifested themselves throughout the course of an entire season. Gase lost the locker room. The team looked like a joke. Sam Darnold was lost seemingly forever. And Adam Gase going was all but inevitable. There was, of course, a movement in some fan circles to get Gase out during the season. I had a feeling that was never going to happen. I was fine with him leaving at the end of the year, which is what happened. But I think a lot of Jets fans breathed an enormous sigh of relief and had a lot more hope for the future with this franchise once Adam Gase was gone and that dark cloud was lifted. It was a two-year cycle that went from pain and hurt to really just understanding, acceptance, and then the ability to heal. I mean, look, I still remember, I mentioned at the top of the show when I talked about how this year started better than 2019, 3rd of January, this is what I tweeted out. I said, Adam Gase is an abrasive personality who hasn't stuck in any of his stops yet in the league. His leadership and communication skills are terrible. I'm not really sure why the Jets were interviewing him. I'm sure Manish will like it though. I apologize, Manish, shouldn't have taken a dig at you, but in the end, he did like that move. Um, but then if you think about it, and look, this is a backwards way of thinking about coaching. The Jets got more out of the Adam Gase era than they did the top bowls. People will think of 2015 as a hell of a ride. Bottoming out in the NFL or in the MLB, look at the Houston, uh, sorry, the, uh, the Astros. When you bottom out, it gives you rejuvenated hope and the ability to make moves that can make you a contender. The Jets weren't getting anywhere winning seven games every year. They did it the first year in the Gase era. If they fired him after year one, they may not have bottomed out. I'm pretty thankful now in reflection that they stuck with Adam Gase, that they rode him all the way through 2020 because the ability to win two games that year and end up with a top two pick is huge for the potential future of this franchise. If the Jets did what the Broncos did and have done and not picked quarterbacks and picking eight or nine and the Chicago Bears, think about the draft capital they had to spend for Justin Fields. The quarterbacks teams have missed from being mediocre. The worst quarterback in the NFL is a bridge quarterback. You don't want to win that number of games. I'm thankful that Adam Gase let us bottom out. It obviously wasn't his intentions, but from the outside looking in, it worked out well. And that day he was fired. Everyone could have some fun. As you said, Scott, it's not about the man. I'm sure Adam Gase is, is good at home with his family, all that kind of thing. I'm not judging the person. This isn't personal. It's just looking at him as a football coach, him as someone in the NFL community. He wasn't cut out for the NFL. He wasn't cut out for New York. He wasn't cut out for the media, that's for sure. So, uh, look, thankful it happened. Thankful it's over. And now we can move on upwards and, uh, and enjoy 2022 as a result of Adam Gase. 
Indeed, and no better place to end a podcast looking back on the high notes of 2021 than talking about fans being able to celebrate Adam Gase being given the boot. Luke Grant, the Thunder from Down Under, thanks so much for coming on and talking through the high points of 2021 with me. Granted, there weren't a ton of them, but we're getting there. We're hoping that the Jets are starting to turn the corner. You've got some great videos up on the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. Also, we've got some really cool shirts over at tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. Why don't you talk about both of them? Yeah, let's start with T-Public. We've got some awesome merch at the Play Like a Jet store on T-Public. Uh, my partner, Alex, she helped create and design the range. There's some awesome stuff over there. The Zach Wilson says go long. The Zach the Ripper shirt. Uh, we've got Play Like a Jet logo merch. The John Franklin's and Quinnum uh, Williams bless you, thank you range. You can go and find Alex, support her too. She's across on Instagram. It's underscore can I be frank. So check her out. But most importantly, check out the T Public store. Play Like a Jet. Buy some stuff for the new year. Uh, instead of going over to Jet Shop and you know buying the generic sideline stuff, support us. Support the channel. The people that, that try and provide some really good Jets content. And then across, speaking of, if I don't want to toot my own horn, we've got some really good stuff across the YouTube channel. Um, I've got Zach Wilson review looking at his eye discipline, how much more accurate he's been, ball placement, the play action bootleg game and how that developed on Sunday, even though there wasn't, you know, the box score that necessarily matched it. So had a lot of fun breaking his play down. Michael Carter, the running back, uh, obviously he'll get his uh, namesake back this week as well. But looking at Michael Carter in the running game and some of the O-line play, rushing for 270 yards, that was incredible. The most the teams rushed for in 2021. Uh, and then also there may be a little video on Trevor Lawrence too and just having a bit of a fun as, from a Jets perspective about his performance on Sunday, throwing one touchdown over the last seven or eight games and, and just having some fun there. Go ahead and check out our store at tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already. And give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and playlikeajet.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.